I want to thank the uh, school and Dave Maddox for giving me the opportunity to be with you these last couple days. It has really been fun. I really enjoy college students, high school students, and college students. And you know, since I've been here, my heart has just been overwhelmed because a lot of you are going through a lot of struggles right now in your life. And you know why? Because you feel that you've finally got to grow up. You know? You know the difference is when some of you are going to go back home and the same friends you have aren't going to be the same friends and expectations may be higher than they were before. It's a frustrating time, isn't it? It really is. Let me encourage you with something. Don't worry about changing. Just be the person you are. And God will work through that, and He'll work through you. And it doesn't have to be that frustrating. You can relax. It's fine. God will have a place for you. God has a purpose in mind for you. Just relax a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But it's been great to be here. I just had a blast. Uh, we went down to the coffee house the other night and just talked to some kids. And uh, just, just had a wonderful time. And I suppose you have a wonderful time, too, being a part of this wonderful school. There has been some times of frustration, however. I was to speak at the seminary yesterday down at Grace Community Church. I believe I'd been there a long, long time ago. And so I was talking to one of the theological students uh, from the seminary on Wednesday night. It was Wednesday night. And uh, he was giving me directions. I said, now give me directions to the school. And he said, all you have to do... Everybody's telling me that 170, all this other stuff. He said, no, 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 no. Just get on I-5 and go to hit Roscoe Boulevard. Take a right and the church is down there on your left. Okay, no problem. I can handle that. I don't even have to write that down. I-5 to Roscoe Boulevard, right? Take a right. The church is on your left. No problem. We could all, I mean, if I asked you what I just said, you could, you could recite to me what I just said. Piece of cake, right? There's only one problem with those directions. Roscoe Boulevard doesn't exit off I-5. So I get on the freeway, and I'm, I'm trucking down the freeway, and I'm, no, nope, not Roscoe Boulevard. Whittier. And I said, you know, I can't believe that that place is that far away. I must have missed something. You know, I, I got caught in the traffic or something. So I turn around, and I get back on the, on the freeway, which was an experience in itself. You know, because, I mean, did they change the speed limit and not just change the signs yet? What's the deal here? I mean, it says 55, right? So in my mind, 55 is the speed limit. I've heard from different people. That's just what the sign says, you know. Everybody else does it a different way, and I'm thinking, you know, that's got to be a great sermon illustration right there. You know, everybody else does it, so it's okay. But I'm going 55, and this, and I'm figuring, you know, 55 on the on the on-ramp, this guy's going to back off a little bit, and he's going to let me out. I've got this little Mitsubishi Mirage. I mean, it's like a Tonka toy, you know. I normally drive a full-size three-quarter ton four-by-four pickup, you know, and then there's no problem with merging. You don't even look. You know, you just, you just merge. Never had a problem yet. So I merge 55 miles an hour. I look back. That guy's going to pull up, put my blinker on. Whoa, this guy's right next to me. Maybe he didn't see my blinker, so I pull up a little bit farther. And I'm kind of going, you know, look at the blinker back here. and He's right there. So I just played like I was in my four-by-four. And I just began to merge. And then he started to wave at me, but his hand was backwards. And he started to say, you know, hi, how you doing? But he was real red in the neck. You know, so I was waving back, tapping my, you know, he's right on my bumper. I'm just tapping my brake lights to say, hey, thank you for letting me merge. You know, all those kind of wonderful things. But uh, <laughs> forget it. It truly was an experience. Well, I got to the chapel about five minutes before it was over. 
But I wanted to show up, show up to let Dick Mayhew you know that I didn't forget that I was to speak at the chapel. And because of the sovereignty of God, we have to realize that God had all those things in mind. You know, it was really a trip because I was, I pulled up to the gas, asking all these people, we're Grace Community, or Roscoe Boulevard, you know, like Roscoe Bosco, you know, poor stirred up chocolate milk. There was a communication problem because the people that I talked to didn't understand me or didn't want to talk to me and I couldn't understand what they were saying. So I realized that, you know, I had a little problem. I pulled into the gas station to one guy and I said, Hey, how you doing? The guy kind of looks over at me like that and I felt like saying, you know, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm from the Northwest. That's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a, a introduction we use up there. You probably don't use it. Hey, how you doing type thing. And I said, do you know where Roscoe Boulevard is? Kind of looking over like that. I'm going, hello, you know, anybody home? Is it okay over there? Roscoe, Roscoe Boulevard. So it was really an experience. Uh, frustration. But I was able to make it to the church, and now I know where it is. And I know that I-5, by the way, his name is Tom. I won't tell you his last name. I'll get him. I will get him. Someday I will get him. I've had one other frustration since being here, though. It's been a major frustration. I ask your prayer about this this morning. And this is serious. I mean, this is traumatic for me because I lost my comb. Now, you see, that's not a big problem for you. But how would you like to replace, for me to go into a store to try to replace my comb? I mean, you, can you imagine me going up to the counter with a comb and you being the teller at the cash register? You know, it's kind of like... So I need some help this morning. I'm willing to pay somebody five bucks for a black, unbreakable comb. Five dollar bill, right here. First guy that comes to me. There it is, right there. Yuck! <laughs> There's five bucks. No, no, I'm gonna. I, I'm good to my word. There's five dollars. He just gave you five dollars. Man, I lie. When I was in school, man, I would have done anything for five bucks almost. You have made my week. Thank you. Let me tell you something though. Since I've been down here, you know, from the northwest, we're a little bit more laid back down there. Listen, everybody's got. Everybody's uptight down here. I mean, it's been a long time. I mean, kids are uptight. You know, teachers uptight. There's either the anger or arrogance or something. I mean, you're just, everybody's got this thing or something, you know? I mean, you get on the freeway, everybody's uptight. Chill out a little bit. Relax. Let me tell you something. If any of you people are going into ministry, and we're all going into ministry, this is, this is for everybody, one of the guys in our staff has above his door, it says this, it's relationships, stupid just to remind him that it's relationships. We get so involved with doing our things that we lose contact with people. You know, it's getting even that way in the Northwest. It's because California people are moving up there. But, you know, you used to know, know people in your neighborhood, you know. Now the only time you see them is when they're hitting their garage door opener, you know, and then they're gone. You never see them anymore. So relax. Chill out a little bit. Be yourself. Some of you don't be yourself, but you know what I'm saying. God can use you where you are. You know, it is absolutely incredible to me that God has me where He has me. Churches in the Northwest aren't mega churches necessarily, but for our churches, when you get up to 1,500, 1,600, that's a pretty big church for the Northwest. 
Why God would have me in a church situation like that, I, I don't know. I question that all the time. I talked about that on Wednesday. There are other people that could do it a lot better, I'm sure. Where I'd really like to be, I'd like to be on a ranch working with inner city kids, you know, with two guys that are really tough kids back on the fence line, maybe eight miles, ten miles back into a wilderness area and just pouring my life into those kids. That's what I'd really like to do. In fact, we're working toward that goal if God ever opens that up. Ministering to, to people and seeing that transition happen in their life through Jesus Christ. But yet I'm pastoring in the church, which is middle to upper middle class, 99.9% white. Would you pray for our church? <laughs> We're going through a transition. I got this weird idea in my mind that, you know, if God looks down, He doesn't see Jew, Gentile, Scythian, barbarian. You know, everybody's one in God's eyes. Do we have to wait till we get to heaven in order to have the type of church that I believe God wants us to have? So we've been talking about this very directly in our congregation. We're looking to staff toward it. We're looking to begin to reflect our community. Let me tell you white people here. Do you realize that in 20 years the estimates are you will be the minority? Do you know the greatest segregated hour in America meets at 11 o'clock? I mean, it's incredible. We talk about being lights in the middle of the world. We're not any different than the world. The only way the world can get along is being a Republican Party or being independent or being Democrat. Everybody's in their own party. What difference is there in the world when the world looks at the church and says, well, there's a white church and a black church and a Korean church because they can't get along. Language is the barrier. I understand that. So we've been talking about that in our church. We've had elders that have confessed their sins of being prejudiced. They're crying at the elders. I mean, it's been great. We're seeing people come to know Christ and the Spirit moving. It's great stuff. But let me tell you something. It irritates the fire out of some people. And it scares them to death. And so what we do is just carry around a bunch of quarters, you know, and flip when they start complaining, just flip them a quarter and say, hey, go call somebody who cares. No, we don't do that. I'm just kidding. It's a struggle. Why do we have to wait to heaven in order to be a part of what God really wants for the church? Well, let's move on. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. Be content where you are. And let me say this. Be content with who you are. If your heart is with God. Be content with who you are. I am, I would consider myself a little counterculture with the professional ministerial clergy. I don't like to hang around pastors. I, I, pastors are wonderful people, okay? Don't get, me any, don't get me wrong. I just don't hang with the groups unless we happen to hunt together or something along that line. That's not bad. I just like, I just like the, the, the anticipation and the excitement of hanging around pagans. You know Why? Because when I become a friend of you, and you're a pagan, this morning you're a pagan, okay? Because you took my money. No, <laughs> You're a pagan. You know why I like hanging around you as a pagan? Because when we become de develop a relationship as we can at that level, then I know God's going to do something in your life to bring you to the point, because you know who I am and where I stand, to be able to share Jesus Christ with you. I'm just waiting for that time. It's just so exciting. You know, I think a little different. I think of, you know, the inventions I'd like to have, you know, like... Uh, like exhaust systems and seats on mass transit, uh, uh, hybrid popcorn, you know, where you didn't have the mess, you just have one big kernel and you just break off pieces, you know. Uh, I've thought of inventing, you know, they have, they have uh, automatic sprinkler systems. Why not automatic lawn mowing systems could also do, double as a, a preventative measure for burglary and so forth, you know. I just think that way. 
And it's okay. And there was a time in my life when I struggled with it. I said, I'm never going to fit. I remember working. I got so frustrated with man. Well, I got time. I got so frustrated with ministry and with pastors and just the, just the, I mean, they change. They get behind the pulpit and, my friends, I want to tell you this morning, what did you, you know, I mean, it's that stuff. And then when you get with them on the other hand, you who is this person? And so I became very frustrated and I said, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm out of ministry. I'm not doing this anymore. And so for three years, I worked for my father-in-law, and I swung a hammer and put in, did electrical service changes, and with great three years of my life, but I can remember in an attic one time, I nailed my thumb. Have you ever hit your thumb real hard with, with a hammer? You know, I began immediately to quote Psalm 100, Psalm 23. <laughs> and I can remember thinking, what am I doing? It's 120 degrees in Sacramento, probably, uh, I mean, in, in this attic, 120 to 130 degrees. I'm up here sweating like crazy in the midst of all this insulation that's flying around. And I'm enjoying myself? What am I doing? And then I thought, well, I need to get back in ministry. And I thought, never be a place. There is not a church weird enough that would ever ask me to be a part of that church. But you know what? There was a church weird enough. (laughs) It's okay. God has a place for you. And sometimes we are so worried about being like someone else, we take our eyes again off God. God just wants us to be like Him. And He'll take us with our idiosyncrasies and he'll mold us and he'll set us free to minister to a group of people that no one else could touch because they're not as weird as you. It's okay to be who you are. By the way, my wife said I said prevenient grace on Wednesday. And if you don't even know what that is, it's the wrong word rather than prevenient grace. And if you don't even know what I'm talking about, then don't worry about it. Next statement. Laura, would you stand up for a moment? Thank you. You may sit down. I need to apologize to Laura again. I called her Sarah. Now, I want to tell you why I called her Sarah. How many of you remember me calling her Sarah? And just totally embarrassing myself. Her sister's name is Sarah. Okay? So it's not like I picked some wild term out and I don't know this girl. I do know this girl. I know her very well. Her family, her dad and mom are friends of ours, but her sister's name is Sarah. So that's the tie-in. Okay, enough disclosure. What to speak on today? You know, normally we do expositional, exegetical, you know, propositional, main idea type preaching in our church, but I'm going to ask you if I can just ramble today. Is that all right? Because I have a number of things that I want to touch. I'll try to put some form to it. But there are a number of things I'd like to touch this morning because they're on my heart and I really want to share them with you. Susan, you shared with the choir, and where's James? Would you just raise your hand, James? Do you have some... James? Sandy, I'm sorry, it was Sandy. Where's Sandy? Sandy shared with the choir, and James, I heard through Tammy that you shared some things with the choir about the uh, physical situation you're going through, and, and Sandy with your mom and a brain tumor and so forth. And, and I, I, My heart has just been crying out for you guys the last few hours just thinking of you because I tend to be real task-oriented, and I just want to do something to fix it. And I can't. And so it drives me back to the throne of grace realizing only God is in charge. But there's a portion of this message this morning that's for you too. Everybody else can listen if they want. They can go get a cup of coffee or whatever. But it's for you too. Okay? Because I think God really has something in mind for both of you. And let me just say this. Though we're not going to talk about that this morning. If you look in the King James, it says some are given to suffering in the New Testament. I truly believe that God chooses out, and I think this is supported throughout the New Testament, God chooses His best 
to be able to withstand some of the human suffering in this world in order to show His grace. All of us couldn't handle that. You're special people. And you need to realize that. And somehow God's going to turn those situations around and use them for His glory. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Let's pray. Father, I again want to thank You for the opportunity to be here. Lord, it's just uh, so exciting to be standing here in front of this group of kids and, and knowing that they are doing their best to serve You and give their heart to You. And I know the struggles they're going through. I pray, Lord, that You may undergird them in such a way that some of the frustrations that they're working through right now may really become small as they again focus their attention on You. It's tough. It is tough to continually try to strive to focus our attention on You. Everything around us drives us away from the focus on You. And so, Lord, we just ask You this morning that You may give us a refresher of what You want us to do and how You want us to live. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you ever been under the pressure, felt the pressure of trying to fulfill someone else's expectations of you? Can you agree with me that it is tough to be under that kind of pressure? Always trying to fulfill expectations, sometimes that are not articulated. Amen? Can't hear you. Still can't hear you. Amen. It's tough. It is tough trying to fulfill someone else's expectations of you. Maybe you're a student, and no matter how hard you try, maybe you're a student. Great statement. You're a student, and no matter how hard you try, there is this one teacher that you can't seem to get through. I mean, you just don't know what you can do to meet the expectations of getting that A, or like it was in my case, of D minus, anything. Just get me through this class. It's frustrating. Or as a parent, not you as a parent, but as your parents, Trying to fulfill parental expectations that have not been articulated to you. Or parents feeling they have articulated them to you, believing that they have, but yet in fact, from your point of view, they have not been articulated. Why is that frustrating? It's frustrating because deep down in our bones, we want to please others. We want to be liked. Well, I'll tell you, there have been times in my life in ministry when it's almost taken me out of ministry because of the pressure of trying to fulfill everyone's expectation. I mean, I want everybody to like me. I want the board to like me. I want other pastors to like me. I want the conservatives in our church to like me. I want the apathetic to like me. I want the, I want the liberals. In our, I want everybody to like me. And so I continually try to strive to meet everyone else's expectations. You know, at times it just comes down to a control issue. Let me let you in on something. Any of you guys that are going into the ministry? There are times when you have people in your church that will exercise what I call passive control. They look like this. You know they don't like you. But they don't tell you why they don't like you. They cannot articulate exactly or refuse to articulate to you what you can do to meet their standards so they will begin to like you. 
So you know what happens? Every time they walk into a room, they're in control. Why are they in control? Because you are striving to meet their expectations that are not articulated. There are times that people don't do it because of passive control. There are times that you'll find that people maybe not do not like you and cannot articulate their expectations because they don't know what they are. In fact, they're having a hard enough time living themselves, let alone articulate expectations for you. They just know they don't like you. It can be very frustrating trying to meet and striving to meet others' expectations. Either way, it's consuming. We call it a performance trap. Performing in order to be accepted. There are religious organizations today that fall into the same trap. Performing in order to be accepted. It is a struggle you will face for the rest of your life and we need to make sure we understand it so God can work through us in a new and a bright and a creative way. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm having a hard time here this morning because doesn't Scripture talk over and over again about how important it is to please God? You're telling me, I mean, we don't go through life trying to displease. I don't, you know, I do everything I can to displease you and then I feel real good. It's the concept of you controlling me through, you know what I'm saying? But yet God says to please Him over and over again. We're to please God. It's kind of controlling, isn't it? I mean, isn't it kind of the same kind of bondage of always having to strive to please God? Let me tell you something before we get into Genesis again. It's this. When you go through your life trying to please others, it is bondage. When you go through your life trying to please God, it is emancipating. It's liberating. It's 180 degrees different than you would think. By pleasing God and striving to please God, we don't have to strive to please man because if we are the right people, God will instruct us to do the correct things. We will do the correct things. And through doing the correct things, we will influence those people that are worth influencing. In fact, we'll influence all people. Some will be drawn to us. Possibly some will be repelled from us. I had an uncle that when I grew up, he's still living. One of the phrases that went through the family over and over again was this phrase. Please yourself. Please yourself. And somebody would ask him, what do you want for dinner? Ah, please yourself. Where do you want to go for a drive? Ah, please yourself. You know, that is the... That's the, the motto of the day. Pleasing yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm involved with that. What are the things that are good for me? Pleasing yourself. God says to please Him. Nicodemus thought he was pleasing God and God wasn't impressed. I mean, he was going through all the right stuff to please God and God wasn't impressed. And then we have this Samaritan woman with her background, and by her actions, God's impressed. Bizarre, isn't it? What's the difference? It comes down to the heart. It comes down to the heart. God wants our heart. God wants our heart, and if He has our heart, if He has our will, He will then work through that to mold us into the right person. Let me read you a couple of verses. We're not into the message yet. I'm rambling. Galatians chapter 1. Let me just read you two passages, and we're going to end up in Genesis, but 
Galatians chapter 1. Just a powerful verse. Verse 10. Paul struggled with this in his life. And he says to this church at Galatia, he says, For do I seek the favor of men or of God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I, if I live to please men, listen to this, he says, For if I live to please men, I am what? I am not a servant of Christ. Pretty powerful statement. Some of you kids are absorbed with pleasing others. You live your life to please others. It makes you tired. It tears at your emotions because you are living to please others. This verse says, if you live to please others, you're not a servant of Christ. So all I'm saying is you need to reprogram the computer somehow because something's wrong upstairs. Maybe something's wrong a little lower than upstairs. Please God. Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I may preach Him among the Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Let me read it without some of the qualifiers in there. But when it pleased God to reveal His Son in me. God wants to work through us as a channel. Let me, let me tell you how this was hard for Paul. How many here like to be comfortable? We all like to be comfortable, right? We like to be comfortable. And we'd really like to minister within our comfort zone. But you know as well as I do that God, God called Paul out of his comfort zone to get into somebody else's comfort zone to get them to the point where they're willing to get out of their comfort zone, Jews, and get back into the comfort, uncomfortable zone of the Gentiles. See what he's doing? God sometimes wants to call us out of our comfort zones. He wants us to work within our comfort zones to experience the excitement of what that is, but he also wants us to stretch the envelope some, you know? And get outside those comfort zones. To encourage others to get outside their comfort zones. Why? Because he's trying to bring the church together in unity through the Spirit of God. It's contrary to human mind and human logic. Pretty exciting stuff. Trying to please man will often result in bondage and failure. Trying to please God is liberating. We say, how do we please God? You, know, you can talk about that all you want this morning, but how do we please God? In fact, i got a greater question for you. You know, I read these statements like, Walk in newness of life. Walk with God. In Him. Living in Him. What in the world do those statements make? We know that if we did that, we would please God. So how do we do that? What does it take to walk in newness of life? What does it take to walk with God? And with that in mind, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 5. If you're there, look at Genesis chapter 5, just a couple of verses, 21, beginning with 21. 
When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Look at chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God. Now, as I read through these verses, we're, we're doing a study on the book of Genesis and it happened to be my, my, uh, uh, my station to take these verses. We have three guys and we just kind of end up, where you, what sentence are you going to end up in? And then I take on from there the next week and so forth. And as I was reading through this passage over and over and over again, it just kind of jumped off the page. And I thought, you know, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, a good way to find out is to examine the lives of biblical Enoch and Noah pleased God because they walked with him. You know, with Enoch, there's only about, with Noah, there's a bunch of passages in Old and New Testament that talk about Noah. We're not going to read them all this morning. With Enoch, there's only five in the entire Bible. Two of them are genealogies. So it only uses three short passages. In fact, there's more words in the New Testament about Enoch than there is in the Old. But it does give us a glimpse into the life of Enoch. What does it mean to walk with someone? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The concept there is continual fellowship. We have a German Shepherd dog at home. She's a large German Shepherd dog. And I run and walk periodically around the area, and when I do that, I like the dog once in a while to go with me. Now, we've had this dog since she was a puppy, and she was a large puppy. There were times when I was walking that dog that I would be walking or running that dog like this. There were other times in walking that dog, I'd be walking that dog like this. When she was very young and I was running, I had to watch it because often at times she'd see a rabbit or she'd see a deer run across the road and all of a sudden she'd go right between my legs. You know, she's off this way. I'm going, you know, one of those numbers. Now, if that would have been the concept of what I could expect down the road of walking with that dog, guess what? I probably would have stopped walking with the dog. Duh. But I came to realize that if I was patient with that dog and I could... Help that dog. And I know you don't have fellowship with animals, but this dog is real special, okay? Let me just use the word, and then you can discuss it in theology class. I wanted to have, the, I wanted to have a fellowship with that dog. What, I wanted to walk in such a way that she could trust me not to take her in a bad situation, and I could trust her. So now when we walk, I don't even really need that. I keep the chain just in case if a car comes by, but I mean the chain is real loose. And she's walking there, wagging her tail. Not all hyper, just walking there. And it's great. You see, that's what God wants from you and me because sometimes we're out there and sometimes God's having to do this number. Sometimes we're shooting all over the place. God wants us to walk with Him, in fellowship with Him. Enoch and Noah walked with God. There are at least a, there's a number of things. But let me just point out three characteristics of walking this life. Number one, what it means to walk with God. It means to live a life 
of holiness. What does holiness mean? I think of Hezekiah and Sennacherib in the Old Testament when Sennacherib was just blasting out all these, all these uh, uh, Jewish uh, cities, fortresses. And he sent the word to Hezekiah and he said, man, we're going to nail you too. And Hezekiah says, our God will stand up for us. And he says, man, all the other guys said the same thing. Their God's going to stand up for us. Hezekiah came back and he says, let me tell you something. There's a difference here. Our God is different than the rest. Our God is a holy God. Holiness means to be separated. It means to be distinct. It means to be living in a different dimension, in a sense, within this world. It does not mean to be weird. There are a lot of people out there that are acting, trying to act holy. Man, they're just weird. You say, look at those people and say, man, if that's what Christianity is, I'm out of here. I mean, that is repulsive. Holiness means to be different. It means to be set apart. It means to be distinct. There's a drawing, there's a magnetism that comes with holiness because as people look at you, they say, man, I don't know what it is. I like you a whole lot, but there's something different. And I don't know what it is, but I want some of that stuff. God said it this way, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, with walking, walking with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from every sin. Enoch and Noah lived in an ungodly day. Maybe the most ungodly day we've ever seen or we've ever had in this world's history. But they didn't compromise their relationship with God. We often compromise our relationship with God. Why? Because, again, we want to be accepted. Right? I mean, I want to be a Christian. I want to have the security of being a Christian. I want to show myself to other people. But I want everybody to like me. And look at Noah. This guy was ridiculed big time. I can remember a guy when I played football in high school. His name was Bill. Bill was huge. I was, I mean, I didn't shave until after about four years after I was married. Okay, so I mean, I'm talking about a late bloomer here. And I didn't shave up here. I actually shaved my face. So. But I can remember Bill. We called him Monster Back. And basically, it was strong side linebacker. Some of you guys won't understand what that means. Girls will. Bill was mean. But you know, Bill didn't do the same thing everybody else did on the team. He was a Christian. But he made a great impression in my life. You know why? Because everybody respected him. No one got in his face ever. I can ever remember anybody ever getting in his face. You knew better than to get into Bill's face in high school. He was respected. He was well-liked. But he was different. And everybody had this passion that, what, what makes this guy, what, good grades? I mean, grades? What are they? I mean, there was something about this guy that set him apart, but yet he was like he was respected. Somehow, 
within his personality, whether it was accidental or whatever, he came to grips with what it was. Now, it's not always like that. Noah found out it wasn't like that. I'm sure he was respected. But he was also ridiculed. Enoch and Noah lived lives set apart. And please God. But there's something else about Enoch and Noah. They were able to live a life of faith and trust. We talked about increasing our faith as we increase our picture of God. And here's where you two come in this morning. We call it the meaning of life. If you want to understand, you guys, something about what life is all about, then you need to read Genesis chapter 4. It's the beginning of what we see as a pagan society. We live surrounded by the results of sin. And let me tell you to something, and, and please just don't ever forget that. Just kind of put it back here, and if anybody else wants to listen, that's fine. But there are usually four stages, and we see this all the way through Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to explain it in a moment. Four stages of life. But the last stage we as believers have that a pagan society does not have. There's an incredible sense of excitement that we find in life. Let me explain this. Adam and Eve were going to have a baby. Was there excitement? I'm not sure how much they knew, but I do know that based upon Genesis chapter 15. See, they, they thought they were going to be killed right away because to eat from that tree. I mean, the guy could have just wiped them out. Now, they did die, but not right then. But in Genesis chapter 3.15, we find this promise given to them of God of some kind of a deliverance, something that's going to come to help them, even within the mistake of their sin, even within their sin, someone to help them. A deliverer would come. I'm not sure how much they understood. I'm not sure how much God revealed to them. But I can imagine there was a tremendous sense of excitement that they were going to have a child. I can remember when my wife told me that we were going to have a child. I was scared. I was excited all at the same time. Man, a baby. We're going to have a baby. In fact, I really for a short period of time went out of my mind. I used to have a 1961 Corvette convertible, hard top, white rag top. thing was absolutely beautiful. Had a, I won't even tell you what it had. Before EPA said you couldn't build engines. I mean, this thing, nothing in Sacramento could beat it. I mean, it was absolutely a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful car. You know what I did? I sold that car because we needed another seat. I wake up sweating in the, in the day, in, the, in mornings, thinking, that was, that was so stupid. I was insane. Why would I do that? Put her on the trunk, you know, do something with it. Don't sell your vet. A tremendous amount of excitement. I can remember, you know, dreaming, you know, would it be a, a boy or a girl? If it's a boy, would Patty let me name him Spike or Butch or Bucky or something, you know? Ended up with Tammy. Oh, we love Tammy. We're so happy we ended up with Tammy. I love Tammy. Tammy, Tammy. Remember the old Pat Boone movie? Oh, she hates that song. I used to sing it to her all the time. But, you know, I used to play the potato head game. You ever get those potato heads and you put different things on the potato head? 
And I kind of played that game when Patty was pregnant. I kind of played that game. Well, if you take Patty's ears, you know, and my nose, what's this kid going to look like? You ever think about that? Probably not. But uh, we were excited. I can imagine that they were excited too, yet probably even more so. Like Bill in the stage musical Carousel, when he found out he was going to be sent, uh, a dad, he said, he'll be a spitting image of his dad, but with a lot more sense. Excitement. You know, I've witnessed, because I coach, I've coached all the way up through 18 in baseball, and, and I, just, I just love baseball, but I've learned in my old age not to manage the team. Because I don't like the parents. I like the kids. Some parents are really annoying when their kids get in Little League. Not a little annoying, they're repulsive. Because you usually have the guy that kind of walks up and, you know, a little bit of a flow to him, you know? You know this guy's never played ball, but he thinks his kid's the greatest kid in the world. What's he trying to do? He's trying to live out his expectations through his kid. And you, you look at the kid and you say, man, the kid's got good lateral movement, man, he's short, you know, he doesn't have a real strong arm, second base, and this guy wants him to play left field or catcher, you know what I mean? You can't work through the parents. So what I do is I just coach. I let somebody else manage, I work with the kids. But some parents take this to the point of, of trying to make their kid into something, you know, it goes from piano lessons to soccer lessons to, to something else to something else. A kid doesn't have a chance to be a kid. You know what I mean, some of you? But it's okay, you know why? Because your parents love you. And they want the best for you. In their own way, they're trying to achieve the best. Because they're excited. Adam and Eve, I'm sure, were excited. Even more so because of the promise of what this deliverer would do. No Bradley classes, no Lamaze classes, no films in the birds and the bees, no previous experience with childbirth. Here were a couple that were going to experience it for the very first time. I mean, I just, I, just, I think weird. You know, I read through this saying, man, what's Adam thinking? You know, Eve's starting to get... Hey, come on, cut down on the figs or something here, you know. A few more times around the garden or something, you know. You know, from Eve's point of view, she's going, Whoa, what's the matter? Burst or something. I mean, you ever think that way when you read through Scripture? Probably not. That's okay. At last the child was born and they thought their deliverer would come. And you know what they named him? Cain. You know what Cain means in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew existence, the, the, the name for a, a Hebrew child is so important. It reflects so much. And I know there's debate on this, but I happen to like this meaning. It's, it's here he is. Here it is. Here's this deliverer. Cain. Tremendous excitement. Tremendous anticipation of life and all that life promises. But then they begin to notice some evidence of sin in their firstborn. As we come to verses 5 through 16 of chapter 4, and we're not going to read all those this morning, we don't have time, but they sense an unde- unbelievable sense of disappointment. An unbelievable sense of disappointment. Here was this one. Here was this person that God had told them they were going to have. The unbelievable sense of disappointment. And then it led to something else. A tremendous sense of loss. Why was it a tremendous sense of loss? It was a tremendous sense of loss because they began to realize that what they had hoped for so long, their hopes were dashed. It wasn't going to be the way they thought it was going to be. 
But as you look at verses 25 and 26 of chapter 4, you find this. The renewed sense of hope. You know what they named him? Seth. And you know what Seth means? In place of. You see, I don't know how Noah and Enoch, I don't know how Adam and Eve did it, but within their lifestyle, with everything that they faced, you two, they never lost their sense of trusting God. It's hard for us to understand that God loves us more than we will ever love ourselves. I mean, that's a lot. And Sandy, God knows what's best for you. And James, God knows what's best for you. He has a plan for both of you guys that no one else can fulfill. Don't apologize for God's divine appointment in your life. A renewed sense of hope. You see, let me tell you something. You were talking about cancer. We're all terminal. I mean, man, we're all terminal. I mean, it's just one missed stoplight away from eternity. We are all terminal. It's just a matter of time. And you know what's so funny? With God, what's time? I mean, you know, God kind of created time. God's timeless. You ever thought about that? What's time to God? God is so interested in our character and who we are. I truly believe that there's going to be some pastor in Idaho someplace that spends half of his time help planting and harvesting and faithfully ministers to a group of small people. He's going to give as many rewards as everybody else. Some people get them today. But see, God measures us by our faithfulness. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be a sense of loss. And there's going to be a tendency to say it's not fair and I want to blame God about this. But listen to Cain. Cain said it wasn't fair. That was his attitude, right? It's too much that I can... I can't bear all this. I can't bear this judgment. I'm not saying there's sin in your life. I'm just saying that you need to come to a place of realizing and focusing upon the hope that God gives us because there is a reason for those that love God. It also means living a life of obedience. Amos said, can two walk together unless they agree? He walked with God. I mean, 300 years, that's, no, that's just not no normal stroll, you know. 300 years with God. Well, why is it important to walk with God? I'm, not, I'm out of time. I'll tell you, it's really important to walk with God. And here's why. Because walking with God, let me just say this one point about that. Walking with God will change your life. Let me tell you something. When you walk with God, you will make an impact on this world. Let me turn it around. If you are not seeing an impact that you're making on this world, question your walk with God. I mean, when you're walking with God, it's, you're going to make things happen. It's just going to happen naturally. You don't have to have a program to make it happen. It just happens naturally. What are the results of walking with God? Let me share one thing here. The results of walking with God are that God, all the way through Scripture, gives us all kinds of stuff, like He's going to give you peace, He's going to give you satisfaction, He's going to give you fulfillment, He's going to give you all those type of things conditioned upon your willingness to walk with Him. Walking with God. Methuselah was born, right? You know what the word name Methuselah means? When he is dead, it will come. You say, why did Methuselah live so long? Just because, you know, he ate you know, fruits and ate the right vegetables and exercised regularly? I believe it's the grace of God. Just like Manoah building the ark and taking so much time to build the ark. By the way, you know the word pitch? 
There's a word for atonement, same root word for atonement, the pitch that they use on the side. It's so picturesque what God does. Methuselah means when he is dead, it will come. If you look at the chronology, you'll find that when he died, the same year the flood came. Now, people would have understood that. You know, they'd be calling up Methuselah. Hey, man, how are you feeling today? I got a little cold. Hey, Methuselah's got a cold. You know, I don't know what they thought. God will change your life. God will change your life. Do we live by faith? Let me tell you something, you guys. When you get out and start working with boards, we are so focused on the bottom line. Oh, God, give us more faith. How then should we live? You're looking at a film series by Francis Schaeffer. By the way, I watched it when I was in college too. And I guess the question I have for you is two things, and I'll let you out. Give me about 30 seconds each. One is this. Are you hiding from God? Do you remember when Adam sinned? He was walking with God in the garden. God came down and said, where are you, Adam? Why did he ask where he was? He wanted to walk with him. He wanted to continue to walk with him, but where was Adam? He was hiding from God. You may be here this morning, you're basically hiding from God. You're in a Christian school, but you're hiding from God. Don't hide from God. You can't hide from God. God wants to walk in fellowship with you. Remember when the disciples were so frustrated and walking down the road of Emmaus? Someone was walking next to them, teaching them. And then when they started to, to partake of the, 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 uh, the meal together, that they, it was revealed that it was a risen Savior, and it said that the, their hearts burned within them. How do you know if you're walking with God? Does your heart burn within you for the things of God? You guys got so much potential here to change our world. We're growing older. You're the next generation. Some of you, maybe even right here, will be in my place, in our church, within the next 60, 80 years. No, within the next few years. Help us. Help us to change. You set an example for us to model Christ, to walk with Him. Sandy, James, I'm going to pray for you guys. We're going to all pray for you because we love you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning for Sandy and James, and, and I know there's others here that are facing the same thing, but I just happen to know of these two. I pray that you may undergird them with your love. I pray that these students may realize that there's more important things than fulfilling all the expectations and the tasks that they have to fulfill, but it's relationships. And Lord, I pray that this family may just wrap their arms around these two and just be able to walk through this situation with them. Why? Because of the love that we can share as channels of Jesus Christ. We can't do this on our own. We need your help. And Lord, if there's someone here that's, that's running after you, I pray that you may just grip their heart this morning. I pray that they may just come out and, and ex be exposed and confess those sins to you so that they can be forgiven those sins, Lord, and have that right relationship with you. And the Lord, if there are the people here that their hearts just burning after you, I just pray that that may continue. And you may flame that fire even more so that as they go from this experience out into the churches, that a true revival may take place and we'll quit playing church. And we'll quit playing church based upon traditions, but we'll just start doing it the way you want us to do it. Because the Holy Spirit of God is creative. God, help us not to pattern our ministries or our life after anyone else except you. And then trust you in it. Protect these kids. Encourage them. Give them a good day in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. By the way, I have the thing up here for Western if you're interested in classes or information and also internships with churches in Seattle. God bless you.